Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing More than a feeling To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save your life To be powered by love I'm Pastor Nathan, pastor here at Elk River Lutheran. I'm Lisa Sampson, Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministry. Jeremy Halkus, Intern Pastor. And I'm Taylor Quinn, the Director of Music Ministry and Worship. And welcome to Worship here this morning at Elk River Lutheran. We're so glad that you are here as we uh, reflect on this presence of God in some <clears throat> new and different ways framed by this story from the Gospel of John of Jesus casting out the money changers, which is uh, a story about him getting a little worked up and having a lot of zeal, as the <laughs> Gospel writer John calls it, uh, chasing people with a whip and uh, turning over tables, letting all the animals loose and go free. So kind of an interesting wild story but at its core it gets to the question that will be addressed all throughout the gospel of John which is where is God and God being incarnate in Jesus who is not just walking the earth a couple thousand years ago but present from the very beginning to here now uh, it's a it's a big thing to kind of unpack and so we'll be talking about that I'll be talking about that in the sermon and we'll have more conversation about it around the table about this idea of where do we experience and find God and so uh, the gospel writer John has a lot to say about it uh, through the words of Jesus because Jesus had a lot to say about that so uh, we're going to continue now with the prayer of the day and so I invite you to join us in this prayer of the day let's pray it together God of justice Help us to protect the vulnerable with wisdom and audacity. Show us your true temple. Amen. And so this is what we uh, explore and experience here is where do we find God? And it's kind of one of the themes that Mary Oliver explores this morning with her poem. Uh, We've been reading the poetry of Mary Oliver through this season of Lent. And our poem for this morning is called, Where Does the Temple Begin? Where does it end? Because as Jesus is in the temple and then later talking about the temple, uh, it is all about that presence of God that's found in the temple, which, as you'll hear Mary Oliver talk about, is not just in the temple. So let's continue by hearing uh, these words of Mary Oliver. There are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them all day long. The wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. And it can keep you as busy as anything else, and happier. The snake slides away, the fish jumps like a little lily, out of the water and back in. The goldfinches sing from the unreachable top of the tree. I look. Morning to night, I am never done with looking. Looking, I mean, not just standing around, 
but standing around as though with your arms open and thinking, maybe something will come, some shining coil of wind or a few leaves from any old tree. They're all in this too. And now I will tell you the truth. Everything in this world comes, at least closer and cordially. Like the nibbling tinsel-eyed fish, the unloping snake, like goldfinches, like little dolls of gold fluttering around the corner of the sky of God, the blue air. Well, we'll be tying into that, that poem and those words uh, into this gospel reading here in our conversation around the table. Uh, again, the name of that poem, if you have a second device and would want to Google it to kind of look at those words again, uh, you can find all of Mary Oliver's poetry online in different websites. And it's called, I'll get it exact, exactly right here, uh, Where Does the Temple Begin? Where Does It End? Uh, and so if you Google that, you can find that. Uh, we're going to continue with our scripture reading now, uh, which is the story of Jesus casting money changers out of the temple from the Gospel of John. Here it is. The scripture for today is found in the second chapter of John, verses 13 to 22. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold auction and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal, for your house has eaten you up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to him, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the disciples said, The Jews said it has taken 46 years to build it temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking, of course, of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. This is the end of the scripture reading today. Well, thank you, Toby, for reading here. It's so fun to see your face and hear your voice here as a part of worship this morning as we hear a kind of a challenging story, but your sweet voice made it much more palatable. So that's great. So thank you. Um, well, we're going to continue with the sermon. And in this sermon, uh, I share a little bit of kind of historical background along with this uh, temple, uh, the temple that Jesus is acting in here today and uh, what the reality is when the Gospel of John was written. And so uh, you'll get a little bit of history and all of that history is shared because I think the first readers of the Gospel of John 
we're actually facing a pretty similar life experience that we're facing here and now in the middle of the pandemic when so many of the places that we would normally go and gather are unavailable to us including church this core place of our worship and faith life together and that was exactly what those uh, early right readers of the gospel of john would have been experiencing and so uh, we enter into this time of sermon and then we'll gather around the table and invite you into the conversation so here we go this morning's story of jesus casting the money changers out of the temple always reminds me of one of my favorite memes here it is says, if anyone ever asks you what would Jesus do, remind him that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. <laughs> I think it's so funny. And, you know, this might be hard to believe, but I actually think that Jesus getting angry and throwing a fit in this story is not the most important part of the story or even the most interesting part. And that's really saying something. This is a story about the presence of God whether you call it nature, creation, or the kingdom of God, wherever you are, we are living in a temple without walls. So let's get into it. Admittedly, what Jesus does in this story is pretty wild. It says this, In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip out of cords, he drove them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. You know, that's a bold move, Jesus. <laughs> but what Jesus says and does next is what I think might actually be even more radical because he's challenging the entire temple system, which was core to the Jewish experience of God. And remember, Jesus is Jewish, and so are most of his early followers. The temple in Jerusalem was the place where Jews could get as close as possible to the presence of God. It's where earth and heaven drew near. Before Indiana Jones Jesus shows up, because of the whip, uh, what was happening at the temple that day was actually completely normal. Jews were encouraged to make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem at least three times a year for special holidays and festivals like Passover, and they were encouraged to make extra trips to the temple if something really great happened to them, like recovery from an illness or the birth of a child or an extraordinary crop. And what they would do when they got to the temple is they would make an offering. The priests would help them with this. And two kinds of offerings were acceptable. Uh, burnt offerings, mostly animals or grain, or two, money. Cash is always king. There was a whole financial industry that had grown up around these practices out of necessity. Because, for example, if you were traveling from Nazareth to Jerusalem to sacrifice a sheep, that's about 90 miles that you'd have to travel, and not by car or truck. That's a long way to travel, especially with a sheep or two. So instead, you could sell your sheep in Nazareth and then make the journey to Jerusalem, and when you got to the temple, you could buy a new sheep there to be sacrificed killed and burnt as an offering to God, and then your family enjoys a nice roasted leg of lamb together. God's happy, you're happy. It's convenient and efficient. But uh-oh, there is one problem. Your dirty money. Temple law says that you can't use money with the image of a person on it at the temple. That's idolatry, worshiping someone or something other than God. And the Romans, who were the occupying force in Israel at the time, those Caesars put their face on every coin. And so you needed money changers at the temple to exchange your dirty Roman currency for some really good clean money, like shekels. 
This was normal, everyday temple business. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus implies that these animal salespeople and the money changers were corrupt in some way. But in the version we read here today from the Gospel of John, Jesus just thinks their services are no longer needed. So then Jesus does his little thing, and after his freak out, the people say, Who do you think you are? <laughs> Here's how they say it. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said to him, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his re disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. When Jesus is telling them about the temple being destroyed, this Jewish audience couldn't even imagine the temple being destroyed again, because it had actually happened before. In the year 586 BC, it was destroyed, and then it was rebuilt again in 515 BC. Well, let's complete the timeline and fast forward. Jesus is born in the year zero. He dies and is risen from the dead around the year 33 AD. And as Jesus is speaking, uh, they mentioned the temple being under construction for 46 years. That's a little remodel project that's been happening. But what happens next is as John is writing his gospel, the temple has actually already been destroyed again. Scholars believe that John's gospel is the last one to be written, likely around 90 or 100 AD. And so the temple, along with most of Jerusalem, was actually destroyed in the year 70 AD, when the Romans came in to put down this Jewish uprising. In Rome, you can still see the Arch of Titus celebrating that victory. Uh, Titus was the Roman general and then later an emperor who led the charge. On the Arch of Titus, you can actually see imagery of soldiers pillaging the menorah out of the temple. With all that history and a temple destroyed, the first century folks reading this Gospel of John, they're most certainly feeling pretty disconnected from God and from one another, from their regular worship practices that have been so important to them for so long. I mean, can you imagine? This place, the temple, the center of their religious life is no longer available to them. Can you imagine? They are forced to celebrate holidays without going to this place where they would have gathered. Can you imagine? So many family traditions have been upended. Can you imagine? I bet you can. Into that disjointed sadness, Jesus proclaims that God has not gone away. All of these folks who can't gather for worship where they're used to and how they're used to, these folks are not alone. This message is for us. The gospel writer John, he takes all these stories of Jesus and takes all these teachings of Jesus and pulls them together to lift up the good news that you don't have to go to the temple to experience God. You don't have to go to that one structure, that temple, that church, that shrine to worship God, but all of creation is a temple without walls and the Holy Spirit binds us together even from a distance and even through fiber optic internet cables. This Gospel of John starts with this poetic proclamation that the incarnation of Jesus, the Word, the presence of God poured into a human vessel and into the whole world is here and it's been from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him. Not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. 
When Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well, they'll talk about worshiping where the Jews worship, the temple, where the Samaritans worship, Mount Gerizim. And Jesus will say to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't just tear the temple down himself, but he tears down the idea of it, the need for it, proclaiming himself in these earthly terms throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus will say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus uses so many ordinary images to describe his presence with us. It's almost like he's saying that God doesn't just show up in big grand buildings or temples or churches, but rather God can show up in the forest, by a river, in your neighbor, or maybe even through a computer screen or phone. In 1945 in Egypt, they found some ancient biblical texts. Included among them was a Gospel of Thomas, this previously lost gospel that includes these so-called secret teachings of Jesus. Now, I don't put a whole lot of stock in these writings, but there is one that I really love that I want to share. It says this, Jesus said, It is I who am the light that presides over all. It is I who end the entirety. It is from me that the entirety has come and to me that the entirety goes. Split a piece of wood, I am there. Lift a stone and you will find me there. I just love that notion. It's a little bit of non-canonical biblical heresy, uh, but it really fits with what Jesus teaches in the Gospel of John. This idea that through the incarnation of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, God has been turned loose in this world. And even if we can't physically go to a temple or a church right now, we are living in a temple without walls that all of creation, all that surrounds us is imbued with this presence of God. It's almost too much to comprehend which I think is maybe why Mary Oliver says this, there are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them and all day long. The wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. Folks, let's keep reaching out together, shall we? Amen. There are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them and all day long. The wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. That was really good. Can yeah, you, you can you reiterate that section where you said, can you imagine? Can you say that again? <laughs> Don't you get your notes? <laughs> yeah. No, I can get the idea of it though. But so so that timeline kind of lays out that the time Jesus is talking to the people is actually different than when the gospel writer John actually writes it down. Like John writes his gospel quite a bit later. 
And so the big difference in those realities is the temple. In Jesus' day, the temple was the, the core focus of Jewish life. And by the time uh, Jesus has died, had been raised, and then those years later, and John is writing his gospel, that temple's been destroyed. And so all of a sudden, uh, the core focus of Jewish worship life, this like pilgrimage destination, this place where they would go and gather, isn't available to them anymore. It's gone. This, this core way of worshiping and place to worshiping is gone. I mean, so, you know, can you imagine that? It's the place where they would gather for worship on holidays, but also where they would have even family meals together. And so they weren't able to have those meals together. And so, yeah, I mean, can you imagine, right? right. All these family traditions being just upended and turned upside down. I think we can uh, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we can imagine. Oh my gosh, that's what stuck out to me. Like, yeah, we can imagine this. Yeah. We can relate to this. I often listen to sermons and I'm trying to pick up what can I relate to it now, right. you know, because sometimes it's theoretical, sometimes it's theological so above that you can't quite put it down into this world. But that I appreciate that where you're bringing this knowledge into we can imagine this right now. Right. We can relate to this temple being gone, not in the fact that where we worship, we also make food, but actually dinner church where we worship, yeah. we do have food in as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that has been taken from us. And how do we continue the worship and the services and the, the meaningfulness that you normally get in this building? Yeah, right. In and I think disarray. the good news for us is that it's a temporary thing, right? That yeah. it's not it's not forever. And, you know, just like those first century folks were busy trying to figure out new ways to, to worship together and to, you know, like we are, you know, worshiping online. We're figuring out, okay, how do we do it? But then the bigger thing that we see all throughout the Gospel of John is that you know John's going back and reviewing all these stories of Jesus and teachings of Jesus and lifting up the ones that help answer, okay, yeah, what are people doing to be continue to be community? How are they caring for each other? But also, like, where is God in all this midst? Like, you know, God is in the temple, and this is what you do to appease and worship God, but then the temple's gone, so okay. Is God gone too? Yeah, and the whole Gospel of John is a big loud, no, no. God is not gone. <laughs> Far from it. That is not the case. And uh, that God is incarnate in Jesus, not just in that moment when he's walking on earth, but from the beginning. You mm -hmm. know, that's how the Gospel of John starts, mm -hmm. that God has been, you know, you know, just poured into this world from the very beginning of creation right to here and now. Mm -hmm. It's a big thing. Yeah, I think it's learning to be church when you can't be church. I mean, I yeah. think in that, mm -hmm. that sort of general principle, what happens when the temple gets destroyed is that it spreads. Mm -hmm. It's this yep. contagious thing. And I saw this even this morning on our Facebook feed where our people are checking in from. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts about Sunday early uh, service is watching from the East Tennessee and Duluth and, you know, all these places that are beyond where we would be if we were just meeting like we'd always done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if Elk River Lutheran Church was only in Elk River, you know, and the funny thing is, was it ever just only in, in right. Elk River? Well, no, but like, the, I think this time has expanded our imaginations and the reality yeah. of, you know, where worship can happen from and, and how we can be a part of it, even mm -hmm. from a distance. And because you're exactly right, you know, the, a lot of these early disciples um, hung pretty close to Jerusalem. 
after you know after you know Jesus's death and resurrection um, and it, it kind of took other people coming along like Paul mm -hmm. to ultimately you know spread that message way beyond Jerusalem and so that work had already started and so by the time the temples destroyed all of a sudden it's like okay yeah we definitely don't just have to be in Jerusalem now like let's like we're going everywhere and that's the church spread I wondered what would happen if they had rebuilt the temple mm -hmm. after it had been destroyed in 70. Um, what, what would it have looked like? Would people have stayed and, and Christianity stayed small? Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, so funny that so the Pope is in Iraq, like probably still this morning, mm -hmm. isn't he? And, you know, and that is early, early church, yeah. you know, and uh, so as we've been hearing about that in the news, then and that's why he's there is because mm -hmm. it is, you know, those early, early apostles and evangelists went to Iraq really early on. And so the church there is really old. Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating in our text, you know, this idea of zeal for the church, uh, zeal yeah. for this sort of institution um, will destroy you. I think there's this kind of mm. challenge of, yeah, I miss the way things were. Um, I wish people could see the behind the scenes of our, of our sanctuary, just it's chaos. Um, but I think what's fascinating is this idea that it's not what church is, or what church used to be, it's what church is becoming. Um, in the sense of like, it's a little bit more broad, it's global, yeah. it's in our own homes, which is in some ways uh, in a more true version of what church could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, thinking about how does that change and shape who we are as people in that process. Yeah, because, you know, I think, obviously, I definitely don't want to give up gathering in person in this space forever by any means. But it is my big hope that some of the learnings, I mean, not just the technological learnings, like, yeah, we can continue to live stream and broadcast online and do that. But I think some of those learnings about, yeah, you know what, actually, we can worship God from home, out, out in nature, in, in all these different locations. And, you know, you know, God is with us even when we're not gathering in this common place. Like that's, yeah, that's a message that I hope we carry with. I think about our Palm Sunday parade last year and then our Hootenanny and Palm Sunday. Yeah. Would we have done that? Yeah. Probably not. Right. And we're out more out there in the community now because we're forced to be. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the Holy Spirit nudging us to be the church in a different way. Yeah. yeah continuously ask the question, what is the mission and, and what are we yeah. called to do as people of God for those that are around us? I mean, yeah. how do we continue to think about who we are called to be as we enter into the world? Yeah. How about the Mary Oliver poem this morning? Were there any words or phrases or parts of it that kind of stuck out to you guys as we, y'all, as we hear it this morning? Yeah, I think the one that I'm holding uh, probably the most curious at this point, she says, I look morning to night, I am never done looking. Looking, I mean, not just standing around, but standing around as though with your arms wide open. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, looking for where God is, I think is the place where I get hung up because I want to see God in what's familiar. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes forget to notice God in, the, in those elusive places. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the everyday ordinary, there's something holy in that, that God is still mm -hmm. present and working through. I think about there's something playful too about what she wrote mm -hmm. because in the first part it's about the elusiveness of of the idea of god or of things and how like when you come up against this you know you, you find a snake 
fascinated, scared maybe, yeah. but it's scared of you, and so it goes. Like the goldfinches she talks about, they, they're up there, they're unreachable, but you can see them, and you want to reach them, but you can't. And I think there's a playfulness to that, where, you know, or a wildness maybe, that it, but also, she also later on says something about cordialness, cor yeah. cor cordial, is that these things aren't evil to you because they're leaving. It's almost like this playfulness and um, elusive, but also you're expecting to find it, right, yeah. you know, and uh, I, yeah, I finally read the poem <laughs> and I really like it. It's really cool because she just moves through this idea. And it's an openness on our part, And an openness, right? like, you expect it. She starts it. with those lines yeah. that you, you can't reach it, but you can reach out and right. all day long, mm -hmm. right? Like, like you just keep reaching out. And even when you're looking at the world, when you're looking with open arms, then you're most more likely to see it. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, of course that's true, right? Of course that's, that's right. And we know it like deep in ourselves that when we are more tuned in and plugged into love and the flow of the universe around us, you know, we're more like, more likely, more apt to see it versus when we're frustrated about this or worried about this and, you know, uh, distracted by many things, as Jesus will say to, <laughs> to which one, Mary, Martha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're busy and distracted by many things. Um, that's so often the case for us, but when we live with arms open, wow. I love John and Connie uh, pointed out the, the line in it, keep, keep you as busy as anything else, but happier. Mm -hmm. yes. yes, but right. happier, right. yes. And, and I think the busyness of it, the excitement of it, and the, the chaos in it, I think is how yeah. I want to put that, also drives us to the joy that's found in it. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that sense of reflection, too. And joy is to be found. I, I think about, you know, even in the scripture, but also now this text is that people... Some people have a hard time with change, and it's easy to come to a temple to worship, this, this building with four walls. Once those are removed, it's scary. Yeah. yeah. But aren't we just reminded that it's not scary, that these things are cordial, that there's joy to be found, you know? Yeah. So if I can, I'm gonna make a shameless plug, because that's, uh, next Sunday is uh, remembering and kind of honoring and lifting up our one year uh, of moving to an online sphere. Um, and one of the things that's curious to me as I'm thinking about preaching is this idea of where have you found joy in a pandemic? Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of things that have been challenging, but I think there's something to take notice of in the joy. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love it if people would be willing to share a video or a word or a phrase um, as you're kind of thinking about that moving forward. Mm -hmm. Shameless plug. That's no, okay. it's great. And that's good to let folks know that next week we'll be observing that that mm -hmm. one year mark that, that of, of life kind of being flipped upside down. And uh, yeah, what, what have we learned? What, how have we, yeah, what has there been to celebrate? And yeah. what have been the challenges? Yeah, it's a lot. Right. I think it's exciting to think about where God continues to show up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the temple text is really interesting in the fact that it's. Jesus flipping tables and cracking whips yeah, and sort of the aggressiveness of what church had become, the temple had become, yeah. but it also then lifts up the space of that Jesus has a role beyond the temple yeah. um, in the space that God still continues to show up. Yeah, and so we think about what is the church and it's so fun for our song of the day, Taylor chose uh, uh, 
my, my man Jay Beach's song, <laughs> the church song. Uh, Jay Beach, good one you wrote here. And uh, it, you know, it, it, it has all these lines that we know are true, right? The church is not a building where people go to pray. It's not made out of sticks and stones. It's not made out of clay. That's not what the church is. Um, and yet, man, uh, so often that's how we think of it. In reality, that's how we treat church. And I mean, it's the same going back to the first century. You know, those Jewish folks said, yes, God is not just in the temple. No, you know, the temple is, is important, but it's not the be all and end all. And it wasn't until the temple was taken away that they really had to fully embrace it. And I think that's where we find ourselves too, mm -hmm. that, okay, you know, we've, we've sang this song for a long time, saying the church, it is the people living out their lives, called, enlightened, and <laughs> sanctified by the work of Jesus Christ. But then we just want to come to the building because that's so much easier and so much more familiar. familiar. And this time has forced us, you know, maybe even kicking and screaming sometimes and like point out our hair trying to figure out how to do online broadcasting and, and how to get on, how to find the services. And yet, the truth has been right in front of our face all all this time, right? This message from the Gospel of John was written, you know, almost two thousand years ago, and this song by Jay Beach, he wrote it in the '80s, you know. And so, like, these aren't new messages, mm. um, but I think they hit us a little differently when we're opened up to it. And so, I'm. I'm grateful that we've been opened up you know that our minds have been opened up to where do we experience god what is the church and it turns out the answers were there all along we're just feeling them in a different way well thanks for joining us you can find more information about elk river lutheran church at our website elkriverlutheran.org and if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church just click that give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love. <laughs>